One of the things you'll have noticed as, um, as you've been sitting and walking and eating and being here is how easy it is to evaluate our experience and how difficult it is to accept each moment just as it is without wanting to change it or fix it in some way. There's a constant evaluating and comparing going on, even in very subtle ways for those of us who have been practicing for some years. It's hard to allow each moment to be enough, ourselves to be enough. We're resisting or denying what is. And we aren't here practicing to make things perfect or to have things turn out perfectly or to get them right but the rather to realize that they already have turned out, that they already are perfectly as they are. When can we can begin to accept each moment just as it is, others just as they are, ourselves just as we are, when our moments can be enough. It's very healing. So I'd like to talk tonight about acceptance, about letting go, and simply enough. Sometimes when we think of acceptance or we hear about acceptance, it can imply a kind of resignation or a passivity, a sort of surrender, an imposition on us that we should be okay with something that we're not. When I first read about the Buddha's teachings, um, that nothing is unacceptable to awareness, I thought, what does that mean? How can I not exclude what's painful in the world? The suffering, all the things that are wrong with the world and all my own suffering, how can I accept that? It would be all right for the Buddha, all right for the Dalai Lama to accept, but not me. But I came to see that acceptance doesn't mean liking something or agreeing with something. It's an allowing, it's an acknowledgement, a willingness to see things as they actually are, not shutting them out, opening to our experience with simply a sense of allowing. And I came to see that it's a process. The Dharma is teaching us not to exclude our reality in each moment. So if the truth of what's happening in this moment is that I can't bear it, and I don't want to bear it, then it's the unbearableness that's asking for acceptance. It's the allowing of the not wanting mind, the not wanting to accept it or put up with it. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross says, I'm not okay, you're not okay, and it's okay. <laughs> and I prefer that to the original version. <laughs> so it isn't about fixing ourselves or improving ourselves in order to be acceptable or trying to fix others or our moments to make them acceptable, but being here fully, just as we are. Rather than having the view, I'll accept myself when I've changed, when I've sat this retreat and I can completely let everything go, then I'll be acceptable. But rather by seeing that as we accept ourselves 
just as we are with all of it, then change is possible. There's a sign at IMS that says, allow without exception. And it means allowing and being with our experience directly, allowing all of who we are. How do we do that? We begin with mindfulness. Mindfulness meaning that mirror-like quality of awareness that simply reflects what's there, doesn't add anything, a judgment, a comparison. It simply reflects exactly what's there. It reveals all that's there. No commenting or comparing. So we're mindfully aware of what's predominant. And we're mindfully aware of what's actually happening in each moment, in this moment. And then we notice how we're reacting to it. Are we holding on? Are we pushing away? How does it feel in the body? Is the contraction or are we open? What we see is that we tend to contract around unpleasant states, and so then we don't fully allow them. Often you don't notice what they are, because by the contraction and blocking, we can't see clearly. Sometimes we'll know we're uncomfortable, and we're not quite sure why. And often it's because there's been a contraction about some unpleasant state that's emerging. We also notice how we're trying to make things be different and see if we can simply allow the state that's actually there rather than trying to create another one. So we settle back into this natural awareness of what's actually present, even if it's agitation or pain or despair. And what, we, what happens is we find that if we can give that state space rather than blocking it out or struggling against it, things begin to settle down all on their own because the energy is freed. The energy that was used to resist and contract is now freed. So in this way, acceptance doesn't have to mean giving up, not acting. When everything is seen really clearly with understanding, it's more possible to act wisely and responsibly. So it's really about allowing all of the mind states and our reactions to them. And as we begin to allow them, what we see happening is that they loosen and they pass away. So in other words, we're including rather than excluding because it takes energy to exclude. We use so much energy in not allowing our moments to be the way they are, in denying, in resisting, in contracting. Often we're not even aware that we're doing it, and it's exhausting doing that. When we start to allow a little, to include a little, and when we begin to see that there's space for what we've been resisting, it does start to loosen and pass. And as that happens, we begin to trust that we can allow a little more. Each time we make space and allow, there's a trust that grows. The more we trust our experience, the more it releases.
but it isn't easy for us to accept all of ourselves. We all have parts of ourselves that we've judged harshly, that we've rejected or walled away out of shame or fear or anger. And it requires kindness and compassion. Young says, those parts of yourselves that you do not accept will become hostile to you. And that's really obvious when we sit. So how do we cultivate an allowing, non-judging attitude when it seems to be the nature of mind to compare and to judge and to reject? Mindfulness again. Simply noticing how it happens. Recognizing it whenever it comes up. Seeing if we can recognize it in the mind and the heart and the body without condemning or rejecting. And seeing as we begin to recognize it that this judging and this comparing and rejecting is habitual, it's conditioned. It's just the mind doing its thing. No blame. It's just how it is. So we can begin to notice the quality of our attention when we're watching the breath, when we're being with our feelings. Are we paying attention kindly? Often we find that we pay attention unkindly when things are unpleasant. So it can help to make an, make an intention to note kindly. Oh, I'm back, rather than getting lost in dismay or recrimination when we've been gone. Whenever the mind wanders, or we judge the mind for wandering, no blame. No blame to the getting lost in the wandering mind. No blame to the judging mind. So gradually, we're sowing seeds of kind attention rather than rejection. We're sowing seeds of kind attention even to the unkind attention. And as we begin to cultivate this loving kindness and compassion, our acceptance deepens and we do start to allow all of our parts, our shadows, to be seen with this quality of acceptance. And that's very healing. It's a relief to allow it. And yet it takes a lot of courage and trust to look at all these parts of ourselves, to experience them, to see them fully, to go through the anger, the grief, the denial, the loss, the fear. Ajahn Sumedho says, so we can actually be glad when unpleasant states keep coming up in our meditation practice. By having loving kindness for the wretched creatures that we lock away inside us, we're opening the door of the prison. We're letting them go and releasing them out of compassion rather than a desire to be rid of them. So we can think of this as a purification process. It can be amazing when we include all of who we are, even the darkest places. The energy that's released from years of holding them in is liberating, is freeing, and enables us to act in the world. And also as we start to do this, we come to realize 
that the purpose of our practice isn't to always have pleasant experiences and avoid the unpleasant. My mantra for years used to be, I can be present if it's pleasant. Because there's always going to be pleasant, unpleasant and neutral. And it's how we relate to them. Can we let them be? Can we let them be enough? Without having to add or subtract or change them in some way. It's our conditioning that says it's only pleasant feelings that are acceptable. That we're only acceptable or others are only acceptable if they're pleasant or if we're pleasant. It goes very deep. And if we can undo it, we can release into we really are okay just as we are. We can release into just being alive. Just to be alive is fully enough. This is David White. Enough. Let these words be enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here, this opening to life that we have refused again and again until now. The levels of acceptance can be very subtle and we can get caught in false acceptance when it's really a denial or passivity or a naivety or an indifference that there, that's there. We can get into a numb kind of acceptance about the pollution in the world and about the overuse and the greed that goes on of our resources and all the things that happen in the world. But that's a fake acceptance. It's a false acceptance. We can get into small false acceptances. Well, I don't care if I haven't had an insight all sitting. It's okay with me. Or all retreat, or whatever it is. It's okay with me. But it isn't really okay. And we're pretending that the satisfaction or peace. We're pretending that things are okay in our world. We're not looking at some of the things that are there. Because we're not wanting to face what's underneath, our greed, or our hatred, or our delusion. And yet it's the full acceptance of these that frees them and that leads to true peace. I was teaching a retreat once when we were doing an exercise of um, at the very end of the retreat, of having people bring into mind something that they wanted to have transformed, some quality that they were ready to um, have transformed. And I thought, oh, I'll do this myself. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll transform judging. That's a noble kind of thing to want to be rid of. And um, so I sat there and, you know, all pleased with myself, I was going to transform judging. And as I sat and just sat with it, all of a sudden, what bubbled up was greed, and it was a very raw and huge greed. And I thought, oh, this is disgusting. I didn't want to own it. But the more I allowed it, the more I allowed this huge wanting, the more I was able to be free of it and see it wasn't my wanting. It was just universal wanting, that we all have wanting and aversion and delusion. Sometimes our acceptance can be conditional. I'll be with this fear 
or this pain if it'll go away. And I'm sure many of you have sat with that this few days already. We have a hidden agenda, and often it's not always even hidden. Um, But that's not acceptance, and it doesn't work that way. Unconditional acceptance is saying yes to all of our experience, however it is. It's allowing the reaction. Yes, this is rage. Yes, this is self-hatred at the rage. No blame. And it helps as we begin to understand that it isn't me or mine. The same with the wanting and the greed I experienced. It isn't me or mine. It's not my rage or my self-hatred. It's just the energy of wanting or anger or rage or despair. It's not personal. We identify with it as me or mine. And when we do that, when we identify with it as me or mine, it ties up the energy and it can't pass through. And it's also very painful. I was sitting a retreat um, a number of years ago and um, some, one of the teachers was leading a loving-kindness meditation. And I was in a state of mind where um, I could not connect with it at all. There was a lot of aversion. And um, so I kind of ignored the guidance of the loving-kindness meditation. But I was also in a fairly mindful state. And after everyone had left, I continued to sit there with this kind of aversion and um, dissatisfaction. And as I did so, I became aware of an image of my own face in my office at work. And um, as I saw this face, there was a frown, and all these self-judgments began to arise. You have the messiest desk in the office. My office partner can do suturing way better than I can. And on and on it went, all these judgments. And with each judgment, there was a peeling off of some part of the face. And this continued until all of a sudden... There was no face there. There was nothing there. And I just started to laugh. And I realized all these years I've been sticking labels on something that doesn't exist. I've been creating a mask, an identity. I've been trying to get it right, to get the right mask, to get it good enough. And we do that. We try to get it right, to create the right mask. And each layer that we add, each layer of identity that we add, is just a concept. It's not who we actually are. And seeing that was very freeing. It was a relief not to have to take responsibility for all the approval or disapproval. Those masks take us further and further away from the truth of our Buddha nature. And it's painful doing that, too, having those identities. And as we begin to unconditionally accept these states, that hatred appears, that these things are there, our hearts open, and through fully accepting it, the love then becomes visible. Both are possible with unconditional acceptance. And it's the same with grief, and with joy, what we see is that when we can fully allow the grief, 
then there's also space for joy. The energy isn't blocked. When we can fully allow dullness, boredom, then it's possible to have clarity. Simply by not blocking, by fully allowing, we make space for it all. When we're closed down, there isn't the space, there isn't the room. The other thing that we see is that um, that sometimes we feel that things aren't bearable. And despair, for an example. Um, a long time ago, um, I was doing um, support work in Nicaragua in the 70s. And then there were many changes, and the clinics that we'd been helping to build were destroyed, were bombed. And I began to not be able to bear the suffering in the world. And I got to a place of despair. And because in those days I felt I should be able to fix it, if only I could be enough, I would fix it. If only I could do enough and be enough. It was exhausting. And I fell into the kind of despair that, um, that John was talking about the other night. And for a while that place was stuck. But then, at one point, I was able to fully allow the despair, to sit with it, to allow it to be as deep as it could get. And what I saw was that it wasn't containable, that the pain in the world, that the suffering in the world isn't containable, and that I had been trying to contain it. And if, if you think of our, ourselves as, um, as this body, and that our emotions and feelings and thoughts have to be contained in this body, in this physical space. You know, it's like a kind of TV screen that all has to fit in there, all of our experience. And when we do that, it does become unbearable. There's too much pressure and tension. And when we can allow it more space, when we don't have to contain what isn't containable, then it becomes not mine anymore. It's universal. And then it's possible for, for things to release. And so you can try that with whatever the emotion or the state is, just having the sense this doesn't have to be contained. One of the most difficult things for us to accept is change. We know everything changes, and yet we want to make things solid and secure and unchanging even though, as Gail said the other night, they're 99.99 whatever percent not under our control. The Buddha said, if you hold on to what inevitably changes, it's like holding on to a revolving wheel. At some point in the cycle, you'll get run over. Things change because causes and conditions change. We feel betrayed when our bodies change. We fight growing old. Some years ago, one of my patients um, had cancer, and she was very ill, and everybody expected that she would die very soon. But something happened, and she didn't. She rallied, and um, she had a remission. And one day she was walking in the street, and she met a friend she hadn't seen for a while. And this woman said to her, Oh, you must be so relieved you're not going to die. And, and my patient said, what do you mean? Of course I'm going to die. <laughs> and it was like her friend hadn't got it. You know? um, 
We want the pleasant to stay and no one to die. And it seems silly, but some years ago when both my parents died, it was kind of a revelation. Oh, everybody's parents die. And somehow I hadn't really got it before. So we need to come to terms with impermanence, our own, each other's, and each moment's impermanence, so that accepting impermanence is a natural part of our life. We suffer because we cling to what changes. And the Buddha taught that the way to end our suffering is to cease this clinging, to let go. And yet our hearts and our minds want to hold on, to hold on tight and control things. It's a strong conditioning to hold on. Even when we don't know where we're going or what we're doing, we hold on. There's a a Zen story about a man riding on a horse very fast through a village. The horse is galloping through the village, and it looks like he's going somewhere very important. And someone shouts to him, Where are you going? He says, I don't know. Ask the horse. (laughs) And that's our habit energy. It's, It's this inability to let go of holding on that's carrying us forward, even when it's pointless holding on. So what we're being asked to let go of, or to cease clinging to, is everything. To things being a certain way, to our idea of how things are, to being able to fix it, to getting it right, to being good enough, to our concepts, our ideas, even to our insights and our enlightenment experiences. So letting go is a conscious decision to release all things with this full acceptance. It's a creative act. Very often I've seen that people with terminal illness or in crisis are able to let go, to acknowledge death and to live and love and be fully there, fully in life. But we don't have to be dying or in crisis to realize the truth of impermanence and change. But it does require a tremendous and continual letting go. I was listening to a talk um, by the Dalai Lama some years ago with my son, and it was a wonderful talk about essentially how the secret of happiness is in letting go. And we sat there in silence for a while, and my son said, that was so wonderful. And then he turned to me and he said, but how do you let go? It isn't easy. You can't make letting go happen. It's like you can't force falling asleep. When my mother was terminally ill and um, very in the last weeks of her life, one day she decided this was it. She was ready to die. And so you know, she said, this is tonight, this is, it. This is going to be it. You know, I've, I've said my goodbyes, I'm ready now, I'm going to die. And of course, the next morning, there she was. And she was really pissed off. <laughs> she said, I was ready, why didn't it happen? <laughs> you know, what's wrong? <laughs> and um, so I talked to her about, you know, she'd had quite a few children. It's just like giving birth. You can't control when you're going to labor, how long the labor will last. It's no different. 
Death is a process too. It takes the time that it takes. The body lets go a little bit at a time. And for each person that's different. We can't just decide to let go because we're ready. It's a process. And it's a releasing or or a relinquishing that happens. It's more a letting be. It's not a doing. Sometimes we think of it as let go, as a doing, but it really is a letting be. It's difficult for us to let things be because we're a culture that's really hooked into doing. We put value on doing, on progress, on making things better, on fixing things. It's hard for us to just be still here in this present moment and to release any form of trying. Can we simply sit, simply walk, eat, be with each moment? Or be with the moment just as it is, mindful of it, recognizing what's happening, feeling it fully, seeing what happens to it as we pay attention to it, watching it as it dissolves and as the next moment emerges, allowing each moment to arise do its dance, to pass. Simply without doing, just allowing it to unfold. So what we do is we sit being mindful of each moment, not trying to fix it, whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. I was sitting once after having been in a, in a place of um, coming to some calm. And um, as I was sitting, I became aware of, uh, um, of the sense of, of my belly being like a deep wound. And I saw it as a deep wound, as this raw, painful area that was, for me, connected with all my own suffering and the suffering in the world that I hadn't been able to bear. And I saw how I'd opened and opened the scab so many times, and how there was now a very thin scar. And what happened was an allowing, a not fixing, a not trying to do anything about it, as I'd always done in the past. And when I'd stopped trying to do anything, anxiety arose. And I followed the anxious energy, simply being with it, And as I followed it and I was simply with it, what happened was a transformation began to occur. From this deep place of grief for the world, of grief for myself, a transformation happened. Flowers began to grow, a garden. It was as though new growth was coming from this place, this deepest and darkest place in myself. And it was very healing simply by allowing and letting go of my habit of fixing and of wanting to do something. So that kind of unconditional acceptance can be very healing when we can allow it. And it requires courage to allow these places in ourselves that we haven't wanted to touch. But when we can release them, then there's room for this feeling of freedom and of joy. Sometimes what we're working with isn't difficulty 
or unpleasantness at all. Um, Last month I was teaching a retreat and I was sitting up at the front and I began to have a very pleasant fantasy. It was a very nice fantasy and I really liked it. And I sort of noticed it and I thought, oh. And um, wanting, wanting, and it released. That was all very well. But after about five or ten minutes, it started to appear again. And I could feel myself leaning towards it and really wanting it. Ooh, that's such a nice fantasy. Um, And I was wanting it. And then this sort of word came into my mind, refrain. So I refrained from picking it up again. And that's what we have to do, is refrain from picking it up again. When we're being drawn towards something, can we refrain? Sometimes we've already picked it up before we notice. Often that's what happens. And then we can have this sense of, well, when you're being dragged along on a leash, what you need to do is let go of the leash. Um, And sometimes it's hard to do that. It's not easy. Sometimes sometimes we can get let go of the leash, and it's great. Oh, aversion. Oh, wanting. And it just happens spontaneously. And some of you, as you sit, will notice that. There's a natural releasing. We see where we're holding on, and just the seeing it releases it. That can happen when we're really mindful. Our heart is open. We're not contracted. We release it, or we refrain. But sometimes we can't let go, and we feel lost, and we can't refrain from picking it up. And we get frustrated. We find we're picking it up again and again, or we're holding on again and again. So it requires enormous patience and getting spacious around it. Learning how to be okay with it not being okay. This is how it is. I did it again. I got lost. Ajahn Chah said, 70 to 80% of our practice is knowing we should let go and not being able to. So our practice teaches us to die to our attachments, to our expectations, our fears, our plans, to let go again and again. It isn't something we do once and then it's done. Oh, I let go. I've done that. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. It's an ongoing process all of our lives, this letting go, this dying small deaths. To live fully is to let go in each passing moment, to be reborn in each new one. And we also start to see clearly that whilst pleasant, unpleasant and neutral are here to stay, they're always going to be there. The grasping, the holding on are optional. The picking it up again is optional. The letting go of the leash is optional. It's possible to leave ourselves alone. We don't have to change things and do anything. Sometimes it helps to simply make the intention to be present. Then we can allow things to unfold in their own way by refraining from grabbing on and interrupting the flow. And when we refrain and we don't grab on, then 
then there's a release happens because we aren't interrupting the flow. And what can help is simply to notice the actual process, the actual physical process of holding on and of letting go. To physically experience what it's like to hold on and to let go. I had an experience of this once on a walking meditation. I was walking along in the rain and I came to um, a chick, you know, a sort of chicken wire fence. And I stood there and I put my hands in it like this. And as I was standing and just being and looking through the fence, all everything on the other side of the fence became crystal clear. It was as though everything was by moment by moment revealing itself. And so I thought, well, what's keeping me from being in this experience always? And I thought, oh, I'm holding on. I'm in a prison of my concepts. The, the fence was representing my concepts that I was holding on to that were keeping me from the direct experience of the truth that was the other side of the fence. And what happened was, as I was aware of that, gradually, spontaneously, my fingers slowly began to release. And as that happened, there were moments of freedom. It wasn't that I saw I was holding on and there was aversion in quickly letting go. There was a releasing into the truth of not being separate from my experience. So it's useful to bring awareness to our stuckness, to where it is that we're caught. Ajahn Chah said, being stuck is like pulling on the end of a rope. If one end is stuck, it won't budge. To make it free, we need to find out where it's stuck, to seek out the source or the root of the problem. So we're using our practice here to discover how it is that we're stuck, to discover peace in this way. Another time when I was sitting, um, this was at a time when I was at a life decision point, um, and my particular pattern of making decisions is to, to the death, go over every option in every way possible, all the pros and cons. It's infuriating to all my family and those who know me because it takes an interminable length of time. And the reason this happens is because I can't let go of the options and I have to get it right. (laughs) So I'm doomed. (laughs) And um, (laughs) this had happened and there I was sitting with this and my intention for this retreat was to come to some decision. (laughs) And... uh, Of course, the more I tried, the worse it got. And at some point in the retreat, um, I actually stopped trying. And what I saw was um, a lot of mud. And there were these wheels spinning around in the mud. And I thought, oh, stuck. And I saw how much energy was being used by spinning in the mud and spinning in the mud. And I allowed the stuckness. And I began to fully allow the stuckness. And in that allowing and making space completely for the stuckness, there was a freeing of the energy. And I came to a a place of peace. Some days later, a decision 
was perfectly clear to me what I should do. I needed to stop trying, to let it go. Um, And it was by exploring the stuckness, that was what the truth was in that moment, not the pros and cons of what the right thing to do was. It takes courage to let things be and to trust and let be, to see all the parts of ourselves and our experience, to not try and fix things and fix ourselves. Just the idea of fixing ourselves or fixing others infers that we're not inherently okay, that we're incomplete. It helps to know that who we are and who others are are not our mind states are not their mind states. When we can allow others to be all that they are, when we can allow ourselves to be all that we are, it's freeing. I would notice often in my office how sometimes when people would come in, I would contract. There would be a contraction in my body. I didn't want to allow their pain, what I perceived as their pain, or if, the, if, the, if it was someone who had something that wasn't fixable, that was a setup to, fe- to have a contraction. Um, and as I began to notice that and allow space for the contraction, oh, this is what's happening. I'm contracting against something that that person is manifesting. Then I began to see and know and remember that they aren't their pain. Their pain isn't who they are. It's not containable. It's a universal pain. It's not mine. And in that allowing, it was possible to be there fully with another, however they were in that moment. When people feel, when I feel fully seen, fully heard, however I am, and you know that for yourselves, when you feel fully seen, fully heard, fully accepted. It's a great gift. We can do that for ourselves and we can do that for each other. And we're not separate from each other anymore. The Buddha nature in what I am is connected with the Buddha nature in another. And there's a sense of release in that and allowing. And of course that's not always easy. Sometimes it doesn't feel possible. And when that happens, it can help to remember to take refuge. To take refuge, as we did at the beginning of this retreat, in Buddha and Dharma and Sangha. That helps bring us back to that place in ourselves where we acknowledge our own essential Buddha nature. And from this place of deep refuge, we can see that we've been identifying. I see that I've been identifying with the pain as my pain or with as their pain. We've been identifying with these deep mind states as who we are. And just seeing that, oh, I've been identified again, can help. One of um, the doctors long ago in my training had this wonderful ability um, to be with people 
just as they are. And this was very early in my training. And um, this was a big emergency department of a very busy inner city hospital where many people came and went. And it was in the 70s. And um, one night I was working with him and we were called to go to a room where there was a lot of noise and there was a very disheveled and dirty and long-haired young man hiding under an examining table. And he was on acid or some drug or another and he was bleeding from several cuts and he wouldn't come out. And so they had called for the security guards to drag him out so he could be sutured. Um, And my friend looked at me and he said, we don't need these guards. He asked them to leave. And he bent down and he got down under the table and I got down with him. And he sat down and he put his hand on this young man with total acceptance. And he said, tell me what you're seeing. And the young man began to pour out his fears his hallucinations, that there were creatures coming out of this wound and snakes and whatever it was. And he just kept nodding. Yeah, yeah, I see. Must be so scary. Fully accepting all that he was, all that was happening. And then after a little while, he said, you know, it would be much easier for us to help you if we could get out from under the table. You know, not in a heavy way, but you know, it would be easier. <laughs> and so... We got him out from under the table, and he said, you know, um, this young woman could, could really do a beautiful job sewing you up if you'd let us hold your arm. We could fix it. Then the snakes won't be able to get back in again. He entered into his world and accepted it. And so, after a little while, we finished. We were done. But it, I've never forget that, though it was such a heart-open experience to be with someone who fully accepted another being, no matter how they looked or behaved in that moment. And we discover then when we do this that we and others are way more than our limited concepts of self and of other. And so we take small steps in this journey when we see the inclination to fix, to judge, to resist as we're sitting and walking here, let it be. Let sleepiness be. Let aversion be. Let anger be. Let boredom be. When you notice the pull of the mind to get to some place which is supposedly going to be better (laughs) or to fix your experience in some way, to fill up time, to... See if you can patiently be with the moment just as it is. Patiently be with the breath, with the awareness of what's actually here right now, what's unfolding right now. Can we let it unfold without imposing anything on it? Not needing to try or to strive or to get it right. It's exhausting when we do that. We don't get Buddha nature. We already are. It's true that you need effort to connect and that it takes perseverance to stay with that, to sustain that connection. But when we look and we lean out and we reach, it takes us further. 
And so this, this connecting and sustaining is a very light touch. It's like when you're learning to ride a bike. At first you grip very tightly to the handlebars and it takes a lot of effort to stay upright. But then gradually it's a light touch that you hold on with. It's the same with learning to downhill ski. I don't know if anyone here does that. I'm from up north where there's lots of snow. But when you're first learning to downhill ski, there's a lot of effort in turning. But gradually, you let go, and it's a flow. But it does take energy to be present. So it's not a doing, but it's a being right there, connected. When there's trying and there's anxiety and there's contraction, we create our own blocks. So sometimes I find it helpful to just make the intention to not get in my own way. If I've been struggling a lot, I might say at the beginning of a sitting, may I not get in my own way? Not with an attachment to the outcome, but simply as an intention. So when we find ourselves wanting to do something to fix our experience, to do something with the stuff that comes up, see if we can let it be. See if we can trust our own unfolding, that we don't have to do anything about it. It's unfolding as it should. And the more we experience that that's so, our own experience gives us our deepest wisdom. We begin to trust that we can leave it alone. Over and over again, we see that it's true. We can leave it alone. When we see deeply that things change, we trust that we don't have to hold on so tightly. The Buddha had people reflect on impermanence and death, and there were graveyard meditations. But we can simply use each sitting, each walking, each eating as a laboratory to look at all the little deaths. Even our insights need to be let go of. Because in a way, when we hold on to our insights, they prevent the next one from arising. I'm sure many of you have had this experience. You've had a wonderful insight, and it's such a nice insight, and you want to cuddle it and go over it and remember it and, you know, (laughs) and really enjoy it. But then that's kind of like, you know, being in the bathroom with an occupied sign on the door. The next insight is trying to get in. But you can't see it because you're so busy enjoying this one. I've done that. understand that the pain and the pleasure and the neutrality even are impermanent. Those beautiful insights are impermanent. Then the moment can be complete. There's an unconditional acceptance. And with that comes contentment. We're really here with life just as it is. Whatever is happening is okay. However we are is enough. 
And when these ordinary moments are enough, it's a deep blessing. Because the more we can face change and trust life, the more satisfactory it is and the more deeply we care. These places of unconditional acceptance are very healing for ourselves and they develop a feeling of safety. It begins to feel safe inside the more acceptance that there is. The more fully seen we give ourselves, the more fully allowed, the more freedom and the more peace there is. And as that happens, as we allow and include all of who we are, all of who others are, all of, who li- all of what life is, we're less separate from our Buddha nature, less separate from the world and from each other. We can experience this interconnection, and it's like a feeling of coming home. We can see more clearly how to act in the world, because now we're acting not from a place of fixing it, like I was in the past, but from a place of seeing it clearly, that it isn't fixable. But we can act. We act with wisdom and with caring. We see clearly how to be of service, because we're not caught. We're not caught in attachment to an outcome. And that leaves us free to be able to change as circumstances change, to change our actions as circumstances change. Another thing that really helps is to allow that this is a process. We want to be able to let go now. I should be able to let go already. Look how long I've been practicing. Or even if we haven't been able to, been practicing very long, we feel we should be able to let go. But being in a hurry leads to suffering. Someone said, adopt the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. The seasons change in their own time. Ajahn Chah said, your practice is like raising a duck. Your duty is to feed it and give it water. If it grows fast or slow, it's the duck's business, not yours. (laughs) Let it go and just do your own work. Your business is to practice. If it's fast or slow, just know it. Don't try to force it. This kind of practice has good foundation. So this kind of practice nurtures the possibility of letting go. So gradually, over time, with trust, with patience, with non-doing or non-striving, with a willingness to begin again, this self-referencing, this me, 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 my, 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 mine, starts to be eroded away, and it begins to be replaced with an unconditional acceptance and compassion for all that we are. And there's less resistance. There's a letting be. And as the energy is freed, as it's no longer tied up in resistance and contraction, it's available to us to be more fully in life, more fully in the world. And truly then, our practice does begin to become for the benefit of all beings.
And so I'd like to end with this poem by Mary Oliver. It's in Blackwater Woods. Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds. And every pound, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this. The fires and the black river of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. Let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.